0: Welcome everybody to Generation. The podcast from the Generation X point of view. Join me with my co-hosts Clyde Morgan and Russ Barbario and maybe an occasional guest star as we discuss everything from the mundane to the insane. Here on Generation Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Generation. I'm your host, Jeff Morgan, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Clyde Morgan and Russ Barbario. How are you guys doing this time around? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, a hurricane. My knee is not bothering me as much as it used to. (laughs) Your what's not bothering you as much? My knee. Oh. uh, Is that happening as you're getting older? No, I injured it. Or is that something you've had since...
1: You don't remember these things? I tell you about this stuff.
0: Oh, you, well, you know, I'm running the board. My mind is elsewhere. But so how long ago has it been since you're injured? Uh I heard
1: it the first time in July.
0: Twelfth grade.
1: And and then <laughs> in August and I didn't play again until like the first uh playoff. And then I immediately injured it again and it's still injured. Now that's been September, I think. So sometime yeah, in September you know. I heard it. But I've been to an orthopedist and uh I got Can an MRI on Tuesday. Maybe. No, I, I think yeah, it's I something think that's gonna have to be worked on. It's it's not Oh you healing, think actual so. like surgery? Yeah, okay. probably orthoscopic. I think it's a torn uh meniscus, but we're gonna find out mm. on Tuesday.
0: They're <laughs> gonna go in with Fun a robot? Stuff.
1: Something like that, and I think really they can clean it up a little bit, but it's going to have to be probably cortisone shots like every other year or something from now on. Right. We'll see.
0: Well, uh, they know a lot about knees. I hope they don't have to drain it. (laughs) Yeah, I think my NFL career is over. Dang it. Uh, you know, just as it was getting started. That's right. Well, uh, excellent. Well, we welcome everybody to episode two of season four. As folks you know, may or may not know, we are doing some video, so we're all pointing at our cameras and looking at it. Uh, got a different background this uh, time around, Russ. Different from uh, the Matrix one that you had last time. Nice festive, Clyde. Looks like you are still I'm in a, the mother-in-law. I'm, I'm in my suite. I'm in my my tenement apartment. Uh, above the mother-in-law <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so how's that house going you know the house is going well we are now in the position of uh choosing the hardware doorknobs registers crap like that we've just uh given them all of the part numbers stuff like that uh and as uh you know the foreman on this job, and uh, she's doing a spectacular job. And so they're getting all of those in. Got to install the doors and the doorknobs. Uh, that'll that's happening as soon as they get them all in. And once that's in, uh, I think uh, we go with flooring and uh, and uh, toilets, flushy flush, uh, stuff like that. And because uh, they. Oh, and painting. Yeah, I mean, the whole house has uh, got walls, and drywall, and primer. It's been inspected, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a uh, fence. People coming out to install a new fence, and I mean, it's it's close. It's close. So, um, and now you it's just it's maybe, just the or? crap that you got to do when you start from scratch again. And you, you have, you know, a desire to choose every aspect of your house to rebuild, you know, and every doorknob and feature, you name it. So, um, it is. Did you get a fully wired for co- Cat Five? Uh, I got. Uh, I did wire the ha- have the the contractors uh, run. Not Cat Five. I mean, just a, a place in the laundry room where uh, routers and switches and go, and switches. from there, you know, go. I got one going upstairs. I got one going to the studio. Another one going to the to the den to power the the Apple TV. So it'll be hardwired uh, for for everything in the house because uh, I do have uh, fiber. Uh, to the home, so um, I'm going to be doing a lot of. You should studio. get yourself a small, get a small four-port switch for behind your TV. What I found is, you know, whenever possible, I like to hardwire. So you use that one port, spread it out into a into four ports, and then you've got enough for anything. Although just about everything runs through one device these days. I I really don't use anything other than my Roku. Oh yeah, and, and you know the 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 den entertainment not going to be spending much in there except for the big shows the big movies crap like that so um i really just need to have the full pipe for <laughs> that sounds terrible um i need, That's I, need what she said. I need yeah i need the full speed for uh for broadcasting and stuff like that so uh you damn straight you know, you get the you get the ability to go ahead and do it right, straight ahead, um, even uh, even you know soundproofing and stuff. So it's delicious. Uh, excellent. So, um, well, Russ, what have you been up to since the last time we all got together? Anything exciting? Anything cool to relate?
1: Well, I went on that Bush Gardens trip. Uh, I think which I what you all I was going on to the hallow scream um, was,
0: was that the Williamsburg yeah, the one? the one up in Williamsburg
1: oh sorry which Bush Gardens yes the one up in Williamsburg the closer okay. one yeah.
0: um, <laughs> closer to you
1: yeah it's they still suffer from major issues with uh, staffing and they don't have most of the food stand like the small food stands are not open uh mm. one of the major dining room that big dining room they had in Italy has been has been closed this time and the last time we were there.
0: That's um awful. I love Pushcart. I
1: my knee was doing okay walking around um but when we had to wait in line mm. at the smokehouse in in New France for <laughs> 2 hours it that killed my knee.
0: How's the beer Just garden the standing? For Is that long. open? The big uh, We didn't make it was it's open.
1: We didn't okay. we didn't get to go in there. Kristen doesn't like big crowds and that place just <laughs> frightens oh, her.
0: That's the big memory. I, I that's have.
1: my f- that's I it's my favorite place too. I can't remember. it's to go where in there, I discovered
0: anyway. German potato salad. You know. Right. and, and giant and maybe schnitzel that should be and Rubens like this tall. Just ugh. Maybe that should be our next trip is instead, a trip to <laughs> Bush Gardens. It's not that far from uh, D.C., you know. We can go to D.C. I C. would
1: highly recommend never go there on the weekend. I think a weekday oh, no, of trip is the, yeah. only thing you can do, the only way to do it. And uh, now, warmly, you can pay you can... an extra $200 a ticket to get, like, fast passes to everything, but that doesn't help you with food. So, no. Well, it might. They might have a, a fast pass for the food venues, but uh, I don't know. So, so I did that, and then I, two days later, uh, drove up to Asheville to go to that King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard show that your son went to as well. But I didn't run into yep. him. It was it was sold out. It was a pretty big outdoor venue.
0: He was the tall blonde one. Oh, really? <laughs> there was only know, about
1: eighty yeah. of them uh, there. But no, I didn't. <laughs> How I didn't big see was it. the venue? Um. Uh, it's it's basically like a giant parking lot with a stage in it with fencing around it. It's uh, so it was kind of flat. So I stayed in, into the back because I'm a little bit vertically challenged. So standing room and plus my knee was fucked up. So I had to find a place to lean the whole time. And uh, but I hung back. It was pretty good. Sounds good. I'd say. <sighs> Held about four thousand people, something like that, maybe. Oh, maybe three, okay, so maybe maybe three thousand. I don't know. Can you um, repeat the was, name of this group? Packed. King what? Gizzard and King the Gizzard. Lizard Wizard.
0: King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard.
1: They released three studio albums in October. The last of which oh. was their twenty third stu- studio album. Not li- doesn't count live albums. Twenty third studio album since their first album came out in twenty twelve. Really? Yeah, that's
0: right. My son told me about this, and I was just thinking skeptically. That's prolific.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, and every every album is like a different genre. I mean, some are more stark contrasts than others. Um, But I wonder
0: uh, wonder if Adderall is part of this process.
1: I don't know. They're just. I think. I I think they (laughs) do hallucinogens or something. Uh, But they're very good musicians. Very prolific. Are they like fish?
0: um, I mean, are are they uh, sort of alternative rock? Or I don't even know
1: how you qualify because like one album is going to be death metal, and the other one is like early '60s folk music seriously it's just weird and they're all of it's good it's not like you know they're making fun of anything they just are doing it in that vein but huh. they had an album one of their albums that came out in april called omnium gatherum i hadn't heard it yet i mean i'd heard of it but i hadn't there's so many you can't, i don't have all of their albums as much as i like them but uh well, it's 20
0: 20 plus albums yeah
1: yeah so i bought that and that's really good and that one it's like every song is different style, you know, like one sounds like the beastie boys. One sounds like Prince. One sounds like Santana. One's just like, you know, psychedelic jam blues stuff. It's It's really good. But anyway, so I did that. And, uh, what else been going on? Oh, and I went and saw that play in Henderson. I told you about, and ran into mm-hmm. some people that I don't think I've seen since I was on a, in a play when we were doing plays together. And, uh, in uh, Henderson wow. for the rec players, so
0: that's like oh, four I saw administrations ago was the last time. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he saw um, Tommy and Joellen. Oh yeah. um, wow! And I haven't seen them since my brother's funeral. Wow. So, yeah, they're just you know they stayed in the hometown and did yeah. the hometown thing. And now
1: they're in that that new theater that's attached to the library downtown. So they built a new library years ago, and then later afterwards they built a th- mm. new theater. It's actually a really nice theater. It was it was a yeah. pretty good production of it. Sound wise was great. Uh, the lighting, this, the changes, and everything. Apparently, Tommy and Joellen's son was doing the the sound the, sound Probably. engineering, I think, and Tommy was doing lighting, or vice versa, or something like that. So that was cool seeing them. And uh, what else? Oh, I just uh, had a concrete guy come today. He's going to give us a quote on a pad for a hot tub that we that my wife is, like, dying to put in the backyard.
0: That <laughs> sounds <laughs> great. You no, know, yeah. nah, every time I think about it, uh, I'm a curmudgeon. I just think about, oh. Uh, how much effort and time? I mean, in other words, you, you really want to use it a lot so that you, otherwise, it, it just sits dormant. And I just don't Oh, think it would, I would get use used it a enough. lot. Trust me. That's why you I go mean, to Craigslist. It You know, People give up uh, a life of it away for free.
1: Yeah, like, that's
0: right. Because <laughs> uh, down here, the mosquitoes, you'd have to be prepared to deal with the mosquitoes constantly.
1: Well, we would be good about keeping chemicals and keeping it covered when it's not being used and all that stuff. So it, it would get you, especially. I mean, maybe in the summer, not so much. Uh, in the winter, for sure. But uh,
0: yeah, that, I do remember doing that. We were up in Rochester, uh, Clyde. You were with us, and our aunt and uncle have a hot tub. And yep, you are walking in the snow to get into it. Yeah, that really was kind of fun. But
1: uh, you—you've been to my house, so you know the back deck. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So it would be like right. We we put it right. Uh, next to the deck so you can walk mm-hmm. from the deck right into it um and it wouldn't yeah, be covered cool. initially i think at some point i would probably want to put some sort of cover on it um you know to, a
0: little p- pagoda or pergola that well we jumps. have
1: we have a pergola but yeah but some kind of covering on it i think um there's some i've seen they're they're expensive as shit but they're it's like a telescoping thing it's like a cover and then it, it like 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 lifts up and so it's got a cover that under that you sit in the hot tub underneath and then it lowers back down when you're done using it but That's that cool. thing probably costs like 30 grand or something
0: <laughs> yeah i so. know the 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 thing that we always wanted to do for from a luxury standpoint was i When we were redoing our bathrooms, I did ask them, I want a steam. I want a steam shower. So like a separate unit that was just a steamer or include that in the actual walk-in shower. And my wife wanted a sauna. She wants a sauna so badly. And, you know, it's nice to see it in the design. But when you see that it's an extra 25 to 30 grand to build out that space and, and put in the plumbing and the electricity that you need... Uh, yeah, yeah, no. we, we stayed in a,
1: in a rental house in, uh, Hilton Head, I think it was 2020. It was kind of a spur of the moment thing. Cause it was supposed to be a big celebration of my in-laws 50th birthday or 50th anniversary. Sorry. And, uh, so that got, all that got canceled. A bunch of people were supposed to come down. We we're going to have a big celebration anyway. So we, we just. Paired it down to the immediate family and went down there and this house had a, a steam room and i had been in a ton of saunas in my lifetime but i'd never been in an actual steam room i kind of like the steam room better i mean as far I as like did, uh, i clearing love clearing out room. your sinuses and mm-hmm. and breathing all that stuff in man i bet it's amazing now sauna is nice yeah. too but it's a different kind of
0: different kind of yeah heat. i like the it does it burns it burns Well, on my end, not much new going on. Well, yeah, started a new job. Things are going great. Enjoying um, dealing, you know, with just life in general, working on the house. Oh, My my wife and my mother-in-law were driving through the neighborhood, walking through the neighborhood about three weeks ago, came across someone throwing out a table. So they decided this was a great project to bring back to the house so it it's it's like a, a round table with a leaf in the middle. It doesn't have chairs with it, but I mean, this had been in somebody's basement. It had residue and build up, and the finish was bubbling in places and I've been stripping it down and sanding it and then restaining it, just getting ready to put the top coat uh, gel on it and Now we've got a hurricane, so i can't I can't finish that but it's one of just one of those projects that when you're done, you can look at it and really feel like, oh, now I, now I understand why people blog about this, do videos about this, because I think it looks great. And I, now, I screwed up the top. Uh, I really should not have used that deep of a grit with uh, a powered sander, because you can see some of the patterns on the top of it. If I had the time to do it again, I would, I would just be a little more gentle. What and,
1: grit were you using?
0: Because uh, I was trying to strip off this old layer that was both—it looked like somebody had spilled a chemical that began to bring out some of the finish and the coating. So I was using, was it 300? Because uh, I'm on, I'm using 220 as a, like an intermediary right now, and then I got oh, go to that bad. Where, well, but the I was using one of those little round hand sanders, so it created a spiral pattern in a couple places and instead i should have kept with the i'm doing hand gestures and you can't even see it on the on the camera uh, I, I should have used my um flat sander or g- gone and gotten a, a what is it, a band sander is that what it is a,
1: a orbital orbital sander
0: orbital sander yeah the one, one of the ones where there's like a strip of sandpaper and it, and it moves through rotates that probably would have kept me from creating patterns but right Still, it's going to look good, and there's going to be a tablecloth on it all the time anyway. So, I've done my fair amount of
1: sanding with uh, guitar bodies and fucking up the finish and having to
0: redo it over and over and over again. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. On a guitar, you need to get it right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the meteor topics. We've got some fun stuff. We've got some tense stuff. We've got some fun reminiscing. So let's go ahead and jump right into our first topic tonight. I was reading an article recently uh, I, I forget exactly where it was, but it was talking about you know a lot of the ultra wealthy, probably of no surprise to most people uh, have private compound places where they can get away from you know the hustle and bustle, but some of these billionaires are you know, really caught up in worrying about what happens if society collapses and Quite a lot happened during pandemic. A lot of these folks really got it into their heads that they needed to have sort of, you know, think of them like a a little fallout shelter, uh, an apocalypse bunker. But these super wealthy, ultra wealthy folks, uh, every now and then will have these conferences and they will invite in uh, experts. Experts in survival, experts in security, and they'll rotate these people through. So it's like a little private conference where they meet and they have experts come and answer their questions on um, a variety of topics. And one of these survival experts got called in to one of these meetings, and he said, "I was expecting to be asked, you know, questions like, how do you, you know, how do you, um, how much food do you want? Uh, how do I process water?" And that's not what these people wanted to know at all. What they wanted to know was how do I keep the people that I hire to keep me safe? How do I keep them loyal? How do I make sure that they stay loyal to me and don't just turn their guns on me and kill me and then take all my my provisions? And the guy said, I was really taken aback by this because... You know, it's one thing for me to provide you with security, uh, uh, like food security and water security. But you're asking me, they, w- they wanted to know, is, are there like control collars we can uh, employ? Would, would that be something you'd recommend is using control collars, like shock collars? Should we use cattle prods? Uh, because we're assuming money won't have any draw to these people If everything collapses, they were more interested to how to keep people from betraying them. And so the guy said, you know, I'm not really prepared to to talk about this, but if you were going to ask me personally, I'd find a way to instill loyalty in them somehow by convincing them that they were better off throwing their lot in with you, convince them to do it because they want to do it. And he said that that, almost universally, the billionaires all looked at him like, okay, okay, uh, so you think we should be their friend? And they really were puzzled because they couldn't imagine that anybody would do anything just because they liked you. And I can maybe understand that if you're an ultra wealthy person, can you ever trust anybody when they say they like you? And, And it could be that maybe we can't trust ourselves when we're around ultra powerful or wealthy or beautiful people. Maybe we do just kind of go with it because we want to go with the flow with that but it makes a good you know brings up a good point and I wanted to talk to you guys about it you know we can use it we can kind of go down the speculation what would it take to convince people and what would you have to do and could you really ever trust these people we've all seen on, enough apocalyptic science fiction and fantasy and we've seen kind of how people are in the real world and yeah, As far as I'm concerned, I know that everything falls apart, and there's no reason why these people would want to trust you or stick with you in any way uh, uh, unless they felt that they were safer behind your walls, that your walls really had protection. But no, if you want to keep make sure that these people don't kill you, you either need to withhold the codes to, <laughs> to how everything works, or you need to find a way to win them over. Or earn their loyalty, but that's that's just me thinking off the top of my head. But I'm interested in what you guys think, Clyde. I'm going to throw it to you first. What do you think about what these guys were asking and what what the, where their priorities are, and if you were a guard, say in one of these setups, you know, what do you think would motivate you? Well, I think the one of the issues is is trying to understand. Um, I guess the situation that leads up to it because in a va- in a vacuum, like uh, how did all these people come to my compound? Uh, is this a zombie apocalypse? Is this a complete breakdown of society? Like in uh, The Postman with Kevin Costner, which is a very underrated film by the way, and very good. <laughs> Based on a, on a book by one of our favorite science it. fiction uh, authors. It, it, it does need about 45 minutes edited out of it. But other than that, yes, I liked it conceptually. And I they didn't bother... Is it than Yes, yes, yes. I would put it in... Yes, but same thing. Maybe better editing would have worked Well, yeah. Waterworld. You know, they don't really explain what happened to the world. Just that something happened. And we do know that... Spoilers, by the end of the movie, we do know that it's a temporary situation that you know america goes through some badness and society collapses and just like a good sci-fi trope you've got you know enclaves you got people that pull together resources but and then you've always you've always got a crazy one you always got a an elon musk with a with syphilis you or you've got uh, somebody who wants to control everyone, and I don't think that's this situation. I mean, you're basically talking about billionaires who who don't have people skills. If the if the uh, the constant thing that's on their mind is these people are going to screw me, that kind of tells me that what kind of life do you live that you have zero trust that you assume that not only is everyone out to get you, but they're out to supplant you, take everything from you and kill you. Because at that point it kind of becomes a pathology, uh, sort of like, I don't think you should be, uh, in control because then, yeah, if I'm a guard and I have to keep people in when you're, when you're keeping people in, why are you keeping them in instead of letting them leave? I mean, if you let them leave, they're going to get eaten or they're going to die. That kind of thing. Fewer mouths to feed, uh, more food for everyone there. So, you know, there's that. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I guess the, the moral of the story is the fact that this guy was just kind of taken aback, and that these people are like, "Oh, you mean I gotta get them to like me?" And you know that's well. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, did you see? Don't look up. No, I did see the they, ending. They though. sort of paired. <laughs> okay, so well, they have a um a highly autistic uh billionaire ultra billionaire but there is some of that billionaires rescuing themselves oh, you know, yeah. from this this faded well you know it's and, like the, and, yeah and, i'm sorry no I was going to say and that seems to be a trope is that these ultra billionaires they they recognize that they are mortal so almost everything they're doing is to try and live the longest time they can yes and what their motivations are though i don't know like elon today sent an email to everyone. They said, no more remote work. You got to come in. And if you are physically able to come in and you don't, then your resignation is accepted. That's a dick thing done by dick who wants to really just prove to everyone that the trope is true about entrepreneurs, which is I don't really care about you. You work for me. You're not my employee. You are the employed. So um, that's how I feel about that. Despite the fact that in, in Twitter's case, uh, it's always been a, a remote first work environment uh, because you don't need people in cubicles in a building to do something like Twitter and then of course the pa- exactly. the pandemic happened and Twitter actually also offers unlimited paid time off so people moved to different states because they could and now they're being told come into work or you don't have a job and they're like I- i'm i'm like 500 miles away from work because i moved you know some dude buys and he's like yeah you come into work you got to be productive no one does that. When, when's the last time fucking Musk sat in a cubicle and uh, turned in a report, you know, like from office space where he's got to get the right cover sheet? He's never done that. Does
1: McDonald's have remote workers?
0: No, I mean, uh, but obviously no, certain jobs no, do require that you but come But that's in, a troll but... comment and I won't take that bait the 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 point is is that with Twitter the majority of the people don't have to be in the office and the reality is is that not everyone is cut out to work around people you got disabled you've got uh, autistic you've got people with uh, certain conditions that they work better at home I've been working from home for met, the past I met somebody years. like that at uh, DragonCon right. Yeah, remember when you, you, were, you were at that panel and I'm standing outside talking to her and she said, Bas- because, but she found the perfect job where she didn't have to be on camera, she didn't have to, and she didn't want to advance. She just wanted to process mm-hmm. insurance paperwork yeah. and do the data entry. Sure. And that's tons of people. But uh, call centers do the same thing, they work remotely now. India, the, uh, the Philippines, Uh, Jamaica have call centers, but essentially it's, they're people, they're working from home because the, the software just runs on any computer. They log into the software and the calls are routed directly to them. And uh, that's a big thing. So you do not have to be physically there, but Elon is Elon. So he's going to huff and puff and tell people you're going to come in. And my feeling is is that that's the easiest way to, to fire people because, well, that's from a business standpoint. Um, But but my point is this, is that he doesn't understand people because he doesn't work with people. People work for him. He doesn't, um, does he run these companies that he owns? I mean, run them you know, the difference is, is that when all of the people that were quitting today on Twitter, all of the executives, when you read their uh, the responses, it's nothing but hundreds of Twitter employees thanking them for their time and just be like, oh, I'm going to miss you. You're fantastic. This place is a hellhole. And, uh, you know, I don't think Elon gets that kind of adulation from people who are absolutely grateful. So... To me, the the actions that he's taking are right in line with that trope of the billionaire who's so out of touch with uh, regular people that they're mystified by this approach of getting people to want to be a part of you for reasons other than making money. Well, to keep it back, I mean, to steer it back, and you're you're absolutely right, Bezos, in a lot of ways, I wonder if he would be much different. But uh, I want to get over to Russ and have Russ have a chance to weigh in on uh, this whole thing about billionaires and, and and them trying to survive an apocalypse. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, <laughs> you know, I've thought a lot about If they ever, I mean, I guess they're working on a a, a cure for aging, you know, being able to reverse the aging process or stop the aging process so we could essentially live forever. I hope we'd never discover that because what will happen is it will get captured by the elites, the billionaires, the millionaires, the billionaires and the billionaires. And they will afford it and keep it out of the reach of everyone else, and they will become de facto masters of the world. I mean, that's kind of what they of course, would like yeah. anyway, and this would ensure perpetual yeah. wealth, right? So, I mean, it, it it doesn't surprise me. I mean, they are living in a completely different world, and their brains work differently than than ours. and And I think when you have that kind of money and power and influence. Paranoia creeps in. It, it it's part probably part of the territory, so that doesn't surprise me. It, it, honestly, when when you write when you said that, it had never occurred to me that that would be something I would think about.
0: You know exactly, exactly.
1: Right. So, and that's the it's cra- weird. That's the
0: crazy part about it is, um, as you both have pointed out, it's almost like, you know, what uh, th- there are like the people who really have a high amount of faith in gold. You know, like the gold fanatics. And and you may be a gold fan from an investment standpoint. Yes, gold is a great investment. But I used to have this conversation with a person at work and he would say, yeah, I do keep gold in my house, of course, with my guns. And if anything ever goes, I'll, I know I'll have something tangible. And I've always, I was always saying, you know, the grocery store is not going to take gold, right? You know that the society is going to have to collapse and then rebuild enough and restructure itself to accept your gold. And then, what? The reason why, you know, in the old days, gold had value for very different reasons than gold is valuable today. Jewelry and things like that are, are not nearly as valuable to people today than its industrial benefits. And if industry is gone, <laughs> I'm not sure that gold has very much value at all. No, no uh, not, so not all at all. People, Beaver pelts. And that's where it's going to be at. It, and, and so all of this money really is useless. What what they need to do is build build a place that's big enough for your security people's family so that they can bring their, their family. Uh, and you need to have a way to feed everybody, not just provisions, because depending – whatever happens, if it's so big that it knocks out all of the banking systems and we can't spend money anymore and we can't read anything because everything was digital – we get, yeah, your money is worthless and will be worthless, just like in the postman movie you were talking about, Clyde. It took years to recover from that, but they did recover because not every place will lose everything. It would have to be something supernatural that made electricity not work or. Or EMPs that shattered. We'd still be able to build things, but it would probably knock us back to last Sentient century. Sentient nanites maybe that uh, before in, the war, in the air, like in revolution. You should invest, yeah. <laughs> invest in ammunition. That's
1: really the only thing uh, worth after everything and, goes to and shit. It,
0: and then when industri- without industrialization, then you're going to end up eventually making that ammunition by hand. So you really need to start making... Making sure that you're oh, I kn- I pe- know
1: people that that make you can make it by hand. You don't need electricity. Antibiotics, you just have to have, you know, the feeder station,
0: antibiotics uh, ant- and insulin. If you are the guy that has the uh, antibiotics <laughs> and insulin, then you got a sh- then you got a chance. You got a chance because that's yeah. you know you can look. I can always grab a stick and fashion a rope. And make myself a spear, and I can feed myself, and I know how to do a fire. I can, I can always do that. But if I got a cut that gets infected, uh, or if I'm diabetic, I mean that's SOL. Uh, unless you know, yeah, diabetes
1: patients will be the first to go.
0: Yeah, so mm-hmm. you know, um, dialysis, all of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's the type one, type two people will actually be fine because they won't have. Junk food anymore to eat, they'll actually <laughs> clear up their type they'll two lose diabetes. And yeah. <laughs> it's the type one people that'll die. Snowballs, you know. Snowballs. <laughs> you know uh, so, what do you? What do you? Uh, what do you concentrate on? Uh, water filtration, uh, health, basically health stuff. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, getting back to the, are we still talking about the compound and how do you? How do you properly have a compound of people that aren't going to turn on you and eat you? Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was the overall topic, and, and it's going to lead us into the, uh, the next type, which is, again, talking about apocalypse. But did you have an, one more point? No, I would make? pretty much do that. I mean, I would, uh, in order to keep, them, keep everyone happy, I mean, everyone's involved. And uh, not to mention you, you bring every. I think about this a lot. Ever since I was a kid and I read The Stand. Uh, which is a Mm -hmm. masterful book. You know, you think about these things. If there was an apocalypse and like a biological apocalypse and most people are gone except for a small group of people. How do you, how do you rebuild? Well, this is what I would do. And I've always thought about this, you know, organize your people by, uh, I guess skills and pull your skills, pull your knowledge, uh, identify the most important things, of course, defense, food, and then healthcare. You get, you, you know, you gotta be able to do, you get, cause what's every trope for every sci-fi TV series and film is the child of the protagonist gets an infection and they gotta go find medicine. You, you think okay well then fine i'm not gonna let that happen in my compound <laughs> so you know you mm-hmm. you talk to everyone find out who knows uh medical uh t- who has medical training that kind of thing everyone gets involved yeah you stock your bunker yeah right. stock your bunker yeah in, you in the future do no give a shit
1: about your high score on uh, galaga <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I, so was, yeah, I was gonna, so i was gonna i was gonna i was about to say what you had already said i think we'll probably the only thing we can do is like uh, gather ourselves into small tribes that of of expertise you know it, it, mm-hmm. everyone will need to contribute something they'll e- either have to bring a skill to the table or learn real quick cuz dead weight ain't going to cut it in that sort of situation so
0: yeah exactly. uh, yeah with an understanding exactly. that there's always going to be people that need to have others to carry their weight whether it be the old Infirm, disabled, or children. But even will children be can be put that we to agree work. To, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe. But, I mean, a, a, chi- a child. A child could be made to cure. In Neanderthal tribes,
1: they would they would dump a baby if the if the mother couldn't produce enough milk. Well, yeah, yeah. but we're not. We're just not the way it was. We're it's not going re- to that's, revert that's life. to
0: that. I mean, what kind of apocalypse uh, are we talking no, but about? Na- but nature will take care of it. Right. Nature will take care of it. And now for a perfectly reasonable discussion. Which is a nice segue into our next topic. And Russ, this was a topic you wanted to talk about. And I know you've brought up a couple of times earlier in the previous season when we talked about Ukraine And so you wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the possibilities of maybe nuclear activity with regard to Ukraine. And so thinking about these apocalyptic bunkers, it just reminded me of how Robert Heinlein, the author, had built his own underground bunker. He even wrote some short stories in a book uh, centered in a bunker because that was a big uh, uh, obsession of folks in the 50s. As they worried about you know, nuclear fallout from the Cold War, and he had built all these elaborate systems to exchange air and to filter water, and he was out in the Southwest, so he built his own bunker. And previous people who have owned the house uh, didn't know the bunker was underneath it, so it just got. You know, so it's a nice segue into thinking how we used to, as a country, be fascinated with how to survive. Uh, A nuclear exchange or a nuclear confrontation. So I want to hand it over to you, Russ, because you want to talk a little bit about how the message is shaped with regard to Ukraine and the threat of uh, nuclear activity by Russia. Um,
1: yeah, I'm going to talk off the cuff here. I didn't prepare any like articles to cite or anything like that, but just my general oh, And, general and, and that's fine. I just,
0: I did a general brush up myself just uh, to make no sure I, I knew where we were with it.
1: But I've, I've become more and more increasingly increasingly concerned with the, the, the drums of war being beaten by the, you know, the war hawks on both sides of the aisle saying we have to, we have to beat russia we have to protect ukraine and talking about like thinking that limited nuclear exchange with russia could be a possibility but in no way you know trying to to mitigate that i i you know we all grew up (laughs) under the threat of the of cold war and nuclear annihilation at any time and and mutually assured destruction was i mean that's what prevented us from getting yeah, yeah i mean we didn't get into uh direct conflicts with russia i mean we would have our each country would have our proxy wars around the globe uh vietnam and korea and whatnot but um open nuclear conflict with russia was something that everyone wanted to avoid and these days, we've got people who don't seem to remember what can happen in a nuclear war when they're talking about we need to d- defeat Putin. We need—I mean, basically thinking, acting like he's just another, um, Muammar Gaddafi that we can dispense with. And it's like, oh, true. What do you think? Somebody who has that uh, the the largest nuclear arsenal in the world. Is backed into a corner and he can either uh, be Im- impaled on the streets like Gaddafi or or is he going to press the button and say, well, fuck it, I'm going to take everyone with me. I mean, we could be in that sort of situation ultimately. And and it, it, we just need I, I just feel like we need to have cooler heads prevailing in, in this arena. It, it, it just gets me worried. And when I see articles I mean it was probably an op-ed I believe it was in see the New York Magazine or Atlantic or something and the headline was would limited nuclear war be good for climate change I mean ridiculous Man, stuff like that, that
0: That's like a National Review article from the early uh, late 70s early 80s that's, that's where you would have read something about that where does it make sense to do that that's right weird, right
1: but this was something more recent than that but um, oh, yeah. I just <laughs> I, I I just don't understand why we're openly talking about this and people are, you know, drum, beating the drum wanting to send in American troops, you know, into Ukraine. Well, we, and, and and I'm just I'm a little concerned about it. I don't know what y'all's thoughts on it.
0: Are. Well, I think the the thing that we have to remember is that at the fall of the US you know, the Soviet Union, a lot of the nukes went missing. Uh current status of them. I know that Clyde, in previous seasons, we when we were talking about this, is that within the Russian military there was a lot of uh, fabricated reports. So the, you know, just how ready some of those missiles are, is unknown, or whether or not they're even stable, whether or not whether or not they even still exist. Uh, a, a lot is unknown, and and while. Things being unknown is kind of what protected us in the past is not knowing. I think really the scarier thing here is they might in good faith not intend to do anything, but it doesn't mean that something of a Russian nature couldn't be used to create some sort of nuclear incident. I'm honestly surprised that it hasn't happened up until now. So we've either been extraordinarily lucky or – Maybe they aren't as insecure in Russia. The nuclear weapons are not as uh, unsecured as we worry that they are. What we have to be curious about is, does it, do either of you know what it takes in the in Russia to launch their nukes? Like here, we know there are two keys. We know he carries the nuclear football. It's similar. Do we know how it works over there? It's similar. Okay. They, I mean, they have their um, – I guess they have their procedures, their bureaucracy – And he can't press a button. Just like our president can't press a button, it does have to go through generals and staff and things like that. And there's a lot of opportunity for people to quote, do the right thing. And uh, we have people in Putin's inner circle. We absolutely do. And I know that from the intelligence reports that, that come out that talk about personal conversations that we know Putin has in his compound uh, up in the, the Ural Mountains. So we've got, if we got people there, we got people fully integrated uh, from an intelligence standpoint, I would like to think That uh, we are keeping tabs on the nuclear question to such a degree that we are trying to recruit people inside the Kremlin, uh, certain generals, certain people that, hey, look, if you were to accidentally uh, shoot Putin about 12 times in the back of the head, America would be totally cool with you being a caretaker for the government for until new elections. Like, I I believe that we've got that set up. And I believe that Putin knows that because, you know, fundamentally, from a cultural perspective, uh, the Russian people and the American people, not that different. You watch Russian social media versus our social media. And even in Iranian social media, you'd be hard pressed to find much of a difference in the way people act and and things like that. It's just, uh, it's not an alien uh, culture. I think they have as many people over there that are petrified, just like we are. And I think that we have just as much chance to prevent a nuclear event uh, by engaging with moderate intelligent people within the Kremlin and actually just do some good old fashioned regime change in order to prevent because look the people who call for nuclear strikes are the pundits the people on TV the people who have made a career out of it because for them it's safe you know i can i can just spout off and say all sorts of shit cuz next week it'll be something different It'll be the gays. It'll be it'll be uh, you know trans. It'll be whatever. But they don't care what effect it has. So I, I've no. I, I was afraid, but I, I'm no longer afraid. Only because uh, I think uh, a lot of people. Russia right now is in a bad state. The people. Well, I don't believe anything that
1: the CIA is reporting, and I also. <sighs> There was one other point I was going to make, That's and okay. it has just escaped me.
0: Um, well, but you're right, and we, yeah. we should always be, have healthy skepticism. Oh, uh, I remember now. Of the CIA. Okay, go for it.
1: When is the last time our regime regime change uh, strategy worked out? Oh yeah, like like we never. Planned. I, I
0: can't imagine that it's happening. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, put as long in as, that as far as you all. know, it may have worked out exactly uh-huh. the way they intended it.
1: <laughs> oh
0: so like the we won't know if time has been changed because yeah it's all yeah ma-
1: leaving every country where we attempted regime change in a much worse state that sounds like a great strategy for world peace but well, anyway yeah. if it prevents uh, a I nuclear that,
0: war i i would I, I don't, so I don't, yeah <laughs>
1: what are your thoughts well, but, but, on but, on a on a diplomatic solution where we are now
0: rather than continue well, with the protracted war the only thing we can really do is i mean we've got the credibility to step in as a moderator and we should try to serve that role because it will help It'll help in the image of the U.S. It is a good diplomatic move. We would be foolish to allow China to step in and negotiate that from a diplomatic standpoint because it will give them legitimacy in the area. But it's also happening closer to China, so shouldn't China be engaged anyway? In the end, China is walking a very interesting line between all of this. Putin, I think, will will find his point of stability um, where where the w- what he deals with and how he is approaching this. Like right now they're pulling out of certain regions. I think they're going to find a particular line uh, where they can do a, an honorable enough end to the activities because you know, he's got almost no army left. He's backed into a corner economically. He needs to recover a little bit. Uh, if he wants to make sure he doesn't get assassinated by either the CIA or any covert uh, American, it's his own people in Ukraine are attempting or to assassinate it, exactly. him. Exactly, that's that's what I mean. Or people that have a, a stake in the game. You know, we always like to talk about no these these Middle Eastern countries need to overthrow their own governments, and and everybody should. If you're going to overthrow your own government and set something up new, it should be done by you and not external forces. So we shouldn't be part of that at all that's not our job in the world but if we are asked to help oftentimes that is what we do is we do help and not i don't, don't i don't know how we
1: would have any credibility in this arena and in, in fostering uh diplomatic well um, here's a solution thing. because we're the ones funding the, f- the fucking war Almost not, not
0: necessarily. You got to, you got to remember this is Europe uh, and uh, we are funding. Yes. But True. We, Europe has contributed a lot. Yes. Yeah. you NATO. a lot of NATO. this is being provided through NATO. Let, 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 let me, let me, let me get this perspective, which is uh, Russia has always forever used uh, the tactic of go in, shock and all destroy, make it so brutal that people sue for peace just for the killing to stop. They've, that's been a tactic right. for at least a century and, uh, they go in and they, uh, they eliminate entire populations of people. And that's what they, they did with Ukraine. It's, but it didn't work this time. It didn't work because we gave Ukraine, the, the weapons. We also trained Ukraine cause they did not have an army. A military that would even be able to do this without us training them. Now, I'm completely behind that because for the past thirty years, Russia has dictated um, basically the power structures throughout Europe with the use of uh, you know natural gas. Russia is enormously wealthy when it comes to I nat- didn't realize that natural yeah. resources, oil, natural gas. They got ass loads of it. None of it gets to the Russian people who who outside of Moscow live in villages that don't even have sewage. But the um, Russia has always played the, hey, you better play with us because we got the biggest army and all the nukes. And Russia, of course, has its own uh, regime change uh, issues like we do. And you know what? I think that entire continent and the world is tired of one country that can actually threaten, through war, global food uh, supply chain issues. Uh, The food is Do you mean because of their proximity to each other? Because, like, over here we're isolated. Are you talking because they're, like, next-door neighbors to Europe? No. uh, What I'm talking about is allowing Russia or anyone— to, we're a global society now because it takes a global society to feed uh, this many people. And they're uh, with one country threatening famine for countries all over the world that have nothing to do with this, strictly because they want that country. At some point, you have to say, why should I negotiate with someone who has kicked in my front door, moved into my kitchen, killed the dog and grandma and everyone, and then tells me, well, let's sit at the negotiating table and let's talk about it. No, you're in my fucking kitchen. What are you doing? That's, and, you, you know, and that's what they've been doing for decades. They did it with Georgia, not our Georgia, their Georgia. They did it <laughs> with Chechnya. They did it with Ukraine. And uh, they did with Crimea and uh, that's what they've always done. And it's different now because we're tired of the bullshit. And now we've learned, wait a minute, your army is shit. You've been threatening us with an army that doesn't even have working tanks that are modern. They're all from the 60s. I watched footage of of Ukrainians finding uh, 80-year-old weapons and vehicles that have been distributed to these conscripts. And don't forget, they have a different system. These are, it is heartbreaking that all the people that are dying in Rush, uh, on the Russian side are just people like us that are, that are forced to do a year of service. It's a contract. And they'll get a week of training at that, and they're sent to die. And it's like, you know, they are saying no. They are now stopping. They're like, no, I'm tired of dying. We're all tired of dying. These are just regular people. And that's what the world is finally realizing, which is why are we letting Russia control the global food supply and allowing them to just invade anyone and give it to them? We messed up. This is our mess. We messed up. By letting Russia do what it did in Crimea and Georgia and Chechnya and letting him take countries. You don't
1: think that any of this, what's going on in a Ukraine, had anything to do with us trying to pressure Ukraine and become part of NATO?
0: No, because we can pressure all day long. Um, what the, first of all, they made a promise that they wouldn't join NATO the idea that russia is doing this because ukraine threatened to join nato is uh, a a russia natural russian uh, talking point you don't invade and try to take a country because you're afraid that nato is going to invade you and take over considering now that he's invaded and murdered and butchered Tens of thousands of people, he's now made it worse. And two more countries that border Russia are entering NATO. Countries that promised they would never join NATO in order to keep well, the status quo. That, that sounds an awful lot like what we did in the Middle East. We went over and did a few things, which just made a lot of the smaller countries band together. And in the end, it's the ultimate strategy. Yeah. In the end, defense. it doesn't. I'm
1: sure we don't really know what's going on, but to just write it off as, oh, that's just a Russian talking point. No, I, it, I is. Think that's, it is. It is. Bu- I think that's a load of shit. And I think, I think that, the comment that it's probably, is a load the, of shit. The truth is probably, somewhere, truth I, is probably somewhere in the middle.
0: I don't believe for one second that the reason Putin invaded Ukraine was because we pressured Ukraine to enter NATO. This is a man. I didn't who say has that was the only te- reason. Well, no, but I certainly would never believe that it's a reason because he goes in, this is what he does. He goes into countries and takes them. He's very clear. But about white so it's our job to be pre- the world police
1: and well, then there's a bad guy and we're gonna says. go kill him and guess what I can tell you this without a doubt in retrospect what we never should have invaded Iraq because it's only destabilized sure. oh. the region of course. completely and even though he's a shithead and uh, mm-hmm. you know not no love lost, I think that was an absolutely huge mistake and if we try to do the same thing with with Russia, and do a regime change there if we happen to get out without causing nuclear conflict it would be a huge mistake and then that would leave uh, a huge vacuum for china to come right in right
0: all right well I, I agree and if we want to expand this out to a longer topic but we want to leave a little bit of room for our final topic which is hopefully a little bit lighter we're a little bit over an hour at this point Oh yeah. but it yeah we actually are um and I do want to make one final point is that I, I see I see what each one of you are saying and, and each part of that. I, I agree. We don't know enough of what's going on, and we can't take it face value what is being said by either party because we all know what's really going on it is just that world chess that normally goes on. And... Sometimes we help because we're asked, and sometimes we help when nobody asks because we've got ulterior motives. And hopefully, as this continues to play out, we'll revisit the topic here and see if it turns out we were right. And hopefully, it won't be a nuclear annihilation, and then we can never say, I told you so. But... It does remind me of something from the 80s, which uh, was a song, so we like to sometimes do some musical topics, and I was reminded as we were planning this show about... Um, Billy Joel's "We Didn't Start the Fire" It actually came out in '89, so it is technically in the '80s. But even if it had been '90 90 or '91, I would have accepted it. And uh, in it, I mean, he has gone on the record as saying, you know, I didn't. You know, this is this is just a bunch of phrases said over and over again. There is no real point to the song other than to say, you know, a really cool chorus with a bunch of historical references. And actually, I think it's kind of interesting. A lot of them come from that Cold War era up through the '80s, and really. Kind of speak to what Russ, you, and me, and Clyde grew up with, where Russia was you know the bad guy and and was the devil, and we had to keep on the lookout and and then then of course, the song talks about other things and I wanted to see how much of it we all got when because back at the time we could sing the words, but i didn 't necessarily know what they were talking about and there's a lot here, so i 'm just going to try to hit some of the highlights um, of what the song goes, and just to see if we any of you know what these references i 'm going to skip the first uh the first um group of lyrics because they're just people's names like harry truman doris day johnny ray john dimaggio uh, joe dimaggio richard nixon who's johnny ray i don't know that that's the thing i didn't know i don't know what johnny ray is um so yeah so that's the one thing like studebaker we all know what a studebaker is it's a it's a vehicle um in North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe, but then the Rosenbergs. That one th- we probably all know, but not everybody knows. Right. So, Russ, Rosenbergs. That was what?
1: Uh, Fred and Ethel Rosenberg. <laughs> not Fred. Uh, I, God, I can't remember his name. They were they were accused of being uh, 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 Russian spies and were executed. Yes, they back were back definitely in the executed.
0: 50s. So, yeah, is it Johnny Apple Ray H? is the father of rock and roll, by the way. That's uh, kind of uh, oh. his deal.
1: Oh, is he the one saying Rocket Baseball. 88?
0: I'm looking at it right now. Um, uh, or I mean, maybe Rocket
1: 88 was the first record with a uh, distorted guitar in it.
0: Oh, really? Oh, okay, yeah, right. I don't know, because there's... Kind of a, like some of that surf music. Yeah. There's Sister... Sister Thorpe, isn't it that that uh, doesn't get a lot of credit for being a whaler on the guitar? Because um, she's a, a black woman who did mainly a different circuit. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff probably on overseas, him. yeah, yeah. He's uh, he Tony Bennett calls him the the father of rock and roll. So, and he did you know oh wow he did movies and and albums and stuff. So. So then it you know goes goes on to mention things like vaccines, which I guess are back well back about polio. England's got a new queen, so you know going all back into the fifties. But Marciano, Marciano? is that a boxer? Rocky Marciano, Raging Bull. Okay. is
1: that, okay.
0: Bull.
1: Uh, or is that okay, Ra- gotcha? Is that Raging Bull?
0: I don't know. I know Raging Bull was a boxer, and yeah. I know his wife yeah, Rocky Marciano was a Playboy late in the. Yeah, uh, Santayana. Don't know what that Not is. Not Santana. Santayana? No idea. should probably know that. Then we got a nice little chorus, but then we jump back in, got a little Stalin, but Malenkov? Nasser and Prok. Well, think, Proc- Na- think, of, think of the decade. I know decade. Nasser is. The decade is Stalin? Is this where uh, he's beating uh, On uh, the UN desk with his shoe, or was that a different Russian? Premier? Oh, almost well, certainly, yeah. That wasn't yeah, no, Stalin. It was, it, that, that was, was, uh, that was, uh, that was uh, a, Khrushchev. Khrushchev, okay. Khrushchev, yeah. Uh, I Na- will, I will Nasser
1: was the president of Egypt, I believe. Yeah. Prokofiev, oh, right. I okay. can't remember. I don't know who that is. Rockefeller Campanella. That's Roy Campanella. He's a baseball player.
0: Gotcha. Roy Cohn. He oh, was
1: the. That's uh, he's a lawyer. I think he was uh, made famous during the McCarthy. But he also he prosecuted
0: touched, the Rosenbergs.
1: Th- oh he, right, prosecuted. Yeah. the Rosenberg He's the one that got exam, him was sent to the death McCarthy.
0: And he was he was um, Trump's uh, uh, mentor, uh, best friend, and. Mentor. Oh, that's why I know the name. Yes, yes. you've mentioned him. before. Everything tonight. you learned. I think he also
1: represented yeah. the owners of Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, when he's a notoriously
0: terrible person <laughs> who died of AIDS, um, and uh, and was basically shunned by all of his friends on his deathbed. And he he did a lot of terrible things. <laughs> Roy Cohn is the crappy lawyer. <laughs> I mean, he was a good gotcha. lawyer. He was a crappy human. Oh, so now, now they mentioned Little Rock, which I'm assuming is a civil rights. Yeah. Um, Thing a Pasternak that that was a person, wasn't it? It was really is familiar, but I can't remember. Pasternak is. is a uh, well. I'm looking this up while we talk. looking it up. Yeah, I'm cheating. <laughs> Charles de Gaulle. I just know it's an airport. Starkweather homicide. Starkweather homicide.
1: Yeah, the Starkweather. Uh, I think badlands was based on that wasn't it the movie badlands
0: don't know don't know yeah i know what the children of thalidomide are that yeah. those are the children born without arms and The yeah. thalidomide yeah what were you gonna say russ
1: oh, oh which one about thalidomide or oh uh, I, I said flippers
0: we're still in the oh, 50s yeah. starkweather was a serial killer a spree killer yeah
1: he <laughs> he had like a young girl as his girlfriend. They went on a murder spree.
0: Was this like natural Actually, born I think killers? That,
1: um I think that was loosely based on Starkweather, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, um it was a, a was Spree Killer, to... eleven people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in in one the... month. And then, well this reference to you two is probably not the band, it's probably to the spy plane. Right. And, Payola. Reed, we all know. Know. Yeah. Payola is the, the Payola. record uh, the record companies and the radio companies. Record yep. companies pay them to play. Yep.
1: Which they pay still do,
0: by the way. <laughs> yeah, they just do it in a roundabout way. You're suppo- it's supposed to be organic, what people want to hear. Although I don't do uh, people
1: even listen to the radio for music anymore?
0: Sure. Uh I'm, we listen to a few stations, but we listen to them. Through iHeartRadio or TuneIn Radio. They've been, radio, so they've right, been consolidated right. to a couple like, large companies that just have servers that play and they only have a couple syndicated right. DJs.
1: I pay for uh, XM Radio and I, I never I love listen it. to it.
0: <laughs> I, I listen to it. I love it. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I should, but I I tend to download buy stuff off of iTunes and just listen to the same album over
0: and over again. You don't do Spotify mm, or British anything? British Be- <laughs> no, oh, no. British Beatlemania. Now the one thing I always feel you know, I knew about it, but that they screamed so loud the guys couldn't hear themselves play. People you know, people who worked at the venues used to say, Oh no, after concerts we had to mop the floors because People were wetting themselves in excitement. That one and folks were like, "Yeah, no, that that is confirmed. That that was a problem." But I mean, I yeah. Did you? I, I guess an
1: outlet. This is a little side David? side story, but did you watch that Elvis movie? The I was going to bring that movie? up
0: the the no. Baz Luhrmann one that just yeah, came yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. No. They have so an incredible scene. This,
1: <laughs> it's pretty good, but I mean that scene where the girls just like can't control themselves. It's bizarre. It, it's that it, that women have that reaction to <laughs>
0: when you watch uh, the, a rock the, star. The, when you see the well, reaction I think at the time, it in um uh what was it uh, um, Ed yeah. Asner shit. <laughs> when they made their well, d- their debut on Ed, Ed Sullivan, shit? on the Ed Sullivan show, you, oh right. you, there, there's there's, right, there's right, footage right. of the girls. And you can see that, that scene that Baz Luhrmann directed, you know, you, you you see it's really well directed and well acted by these these uh, It's a pretty
1: good movie actresses
0: yeah. that just go ape shit and then when But you the imagine, reaction
1: like the the parents or the older people that are watching this happen like right next to them
0: they're like what's happening Yeah that's that's dramatic <laughs> well, It's just it's teenage hormones Yeah, right well, well, and, and uh, when you see the Ed of uh-huh. stuff it is insane they really do it is they they can't help the reaction that's coming out of their face and it's insane, right? Well, and men, men have similar things. They just typically involve punching and <laughs> fighting, we, and we don't wet ourselves br- though, usually. Uh, uh, no, t- we, t- we t- just t- go to the corner uh, and take a piss. <laughs> we got self control. Yeah, we, <laughs> true. We 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 can always go on the side of a building. So we've got uh, AIDS, understandable. Crack, We're we skipping know that. Ber- here, right? Yeah, yeah. Did Bernie you skip Gets? the sixties?
1: I remember him. Bernie Goetz was the uh, the guy who shot the kids on the subway. They were sticking them yep. up with the, the screwdrivers.
0: Screw, yeah. The vigilante. The, what was the vigilante Yeah, guy he was hailed the, as a hero. Started the discussion. Because that, during that time, yeah. New York was like terrible it was with a crime. It, was, it, it had not gone into the Giuliani. It was still in the Coke. In the, the, everyone was, uh, I mean, it was just the... The graffiti, the trash, the everything.
1: He was pre-crack, but it was it was really bad in New York in the seventies. Yeah, and 80s.
0: no, it was. I mean it, it's it was getting, getting would...
1: terrible now, but not nearly way it was in the eighties and nineties for sure. No, it's, yeah, yeah
0: it's interesting. So let's see what else we got here. I, I did skip one. Uh, I did, we did skip the '60s with the moonshot, Woodstock, Watergate, punk rock. But punk rock was more, I thought, '70s and early um, '80s, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, he skips around a little bit.
0: Terror on the Airline, though. That was that was a thing. That do you remember that from when we were young? How people were hijacking airplanes not blowing them up they were hijacking them yeah there were some, were some famous ones too i remember that uh and it was usually a political statement wasn't it i mean it, i mean it wasn't ever like a single dude like you know i want my girlfriend back it was like uh speaking of there's a kidney on this plane and my <laughs> kid needs it
1: yeah yeah speaking of the cola wars did y'all ever take the pepsi challenge
0: i never took it uh Back, but I've always been a diet Coke uh, yeah, but we grew I'm, up I'm in north Carolina that was uh that was Pepsi country man We played Pepsi I, uh, Spirit it was, as kids but when uh, I
1: was living still living in Utah, probably about a year or two before I um, moved to North Carolina they had a they had a thing come out to the town I was living in, and they you'd go down there and take the Pepsi challenge. I think I chose oh, yeah. Pepsi and I didn't get the extra pin that I would have gotten if I had chosen Coca-Cola. But everyone's like uh, but right there so everyone knows which one's which and I just chose the one that tasted better. I, it was Well, honest. and people say that.
0: They they because Pepsi's sweeter and people do prefer it in a taste test. Um, but it's uh, I'm just one of those people that doesn't like the extra sugar, but as a kid I didn't care at all. I whatever was on sale at the grocery, at the convenience store. So let's see what else we got here. Uh, b- b- I think b- we pretty b- much nailed it, didn't we? I think we we did because I mean Ayatollah in Iran. We actually talked about that earlier yeah. when we were talking about Iran's uh, misfortunes and regime change. Uh, hyperdermics on the shore—that's still that was actually a problem. Yeah. Yep.
1: Did this song come out before "It's the End of the World as We Know It," or did that come out first? Because it seemed like they came out real near each other. I
0: think this one came out. Well, you know what? No, because um, I have to look that up because I remember listening to it with my with uh, Brian, our friend from high school before he or when he got went into the military. Somebody looked that up. Stat. They gotta happened around the same time, right? I mean, end of the world as we know it. Eighty seven.
1: I knew it. He copied the fucking REM.
0: What? (laughs) They were just a little band from Georgia. Right. So he could ignore them. But uh, no, definitely my R.E.M., more of a college band, I think, back at at this time. But uh, just making it on the stage. Billy Joel, really, he didn't write very much after this. I'm not sure how much more music he wrote after this album, because he stopped writing stuff in the 90s. I saw a documentary about
1: uh, people who... uh, Uh, like musicians that played with him. He was a real dick to them. He was a total asshole.
0: Oh, man. And if Mm. if they
1: asked for more money, he'd fire them.
0: uh, I guess that's the New Yorker. It's his New York state of mind. I guess. Well, all right, guys. Well, wow, this is going to be the longest episode ever, clocking in at uh, roughly an hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) So... Uh, Thanks again for joining. We want to thank everybody else. Uh, We also want to let everybody know we have a Patreon page, so you should should go check out Mm Generation on Patreon if you want to be a supporter of us, because we'll take any of the money that we can. We're going to have some mugs here pretty soon. And, of course, don't forget to check out the videos. I'm going to chop them up and put them on YouTube so you can see what we look like while we do this. And hopefully I didn't look... I'm not staring off into space balancing my checkbook at any given point. So, all right. Well, I'm Jeff. Thanks again for joining us. Say goodbye, Clyde and Russ. Goodbye, Clyde and Russ.
1: Goodbye, Clyde and Russ.
0: I love it. Literal. (laughs) You've been listening to Generation, a podcast from the Generation X point of view, brought to you by Twisted Little Gnome Studios. Your hosts today were yours truly, Jeff Morgan, Russ Barbario, and Clyde Morgan, produced by me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.